Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial at searchenginejournal.com forward slash audible and get your first book for free. We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world and all we can think about is where... Where can I hook up my bottom? Digital pen part of work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. So should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Marketing Nerds. My name is Kelsey Jones. I'm the executive editor at Search Engine Journal, and I'm joined here today by Jeffrey Colon. He is the communications designer at Microsoft, and he also is the author of Disruptive Marketing. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Kelsey. So I know we met at PubCon and we did an interview there, but I kind of wanted to delve in a little bit more about the evolution of marketing, which is something you've talked about before. And so, you know, speaking about how marketing is going to continue to evolve over the next few years, and you specifically talk about uh, how it has to do with how we communicate with one another. So how do you think communication skills drive better marketing? Well, one of the things is communication is almost becoming full circle again. If we look at ancient civilizations, uh, they shared stories because they needed to survive or thrive. You wanted to tell someone how to make fire so that those people could survive so that you had a larger group in which uh, you know you could uh, you could take advantage of. We are social animals by design, so we need people around us. Um, and that's happening in marketing. I think we went through a period where because it was one-way communication, you would talk, uh, you would broadcast, so to speak, or amplify. Marketing really took this role of a, of a narrative. Hey, we're going to tell people what we want them to think. We're going to tell people what we want them to believe. Uh, but that's coming full circle again, mainly due to the evolution of communication through technology. Everyone has a voice now and everyone can participate. Yes, exactly. And that's something, you know, I had told you in our notes, you know, today's consumers are really savvy and they hate being talked at and being told what to do. And so I think, like you said, communication plays a role because now we as marketers need to have a conversation with our target audience instead of just talking at them. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think one of the things, interesting things is marketing has always thought of itself as, you know, how do we persuade and influence our audience, our target consumer audience? But there needs to be a pivot within marketing uh, circles and within, within, within marketers themselves, which is it's not just about persuading and influencing our customer segment, but also our company and our products. And this is something that if we think about what the role of a chief marketing officer was, it was to sit at the table and be the voice of the customer so that when other executives said, hey, this is what we're going to do, the CMO could speak up and be like, wait a minute, that our customers (laughs) will not or will like that. Mm -hmm. The role has really changed to be this person who follows orders of of a CEO. And I think it has to get back to what it initially was about, which is being the voice of the customer and actually representing the customer within uh, the boardroom. And, that, and that's a big pivot that I don't think marketing is, is making as quickly as it needs to in order to keep up, which is 
not just influencing customers, but influencing the products and the company itself based on what customers are asking for. Yes, exactly. So I have a good analogy. So my husband's uh, department has this annual um, barbecue thing. And I met a guy that he works with that DJs on the side. And his DJ name is DeBeast, which doesn't matter, but I think that's an awesome DJ name. So anyway, we were talking about DJing because I think it's super interesting how people manage to do that and how they control the crowd. And I said, well, what's your your key tip for DJing? And he said, what you have to know in order to be a good DJ is you play the music that people want to hear. You don't play the music that you want to listen to. And I think that that's a perfect analogy for marketing. So you need to give out information and content that your consumers want to see and hear, not what you think they want or what you would want. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good uh, analogy. I actually gave this talk in Detroit last year, which was, you know, marketing can learn a lot from being a DJ because I was a DJ <laughs> ever uh, from 1990 yes. till about 2006. What was your and, DJ name? Uh, it's the handle that I use almost on all my social media properties. So DJ oh, okay. Jeffy, which is G E O F F E, um, which is funny because everyone's like, "How come you're DJ Jeffy?" It's like, well, like when I, you know, I was a DJ when I got on social media and uh, you know marketing as well. So I just sort of stuck with it. Uh, but the analogy you use, Kelsey, is a great one because it is it is really about understanding an audience. I mean, you would not go into a room where people are expecting to hear a certain type of music and play something radically different. You would mm -hmm. play what they want to hear, but then you would almost coerce them slowly into experimenting with other forms of music that they may or may not like. I mean, that's really how the human brain works and how uh, emotions work. You just can't drop what you believe everyone will uh you know, will enjoy. You really have to have an idea, be able to read people, be able to read an audience. And I think that's where marketing misses out in our over analytical age. We miss out on the fact that we're still dealing with people and people are complex uh, creatures, so to speak, mm -hmm. with feelings and emotions and context. Um, and we have a, we have this belief that, oh, well, people will just push on this button and they'll just buy something automatically from us. I, I think that's just really missing the point of what, uh, you know, humanity is all about. Yes, I agree. Well, and I think because we're so interconnected, you know, being online all the time, if somebody wants to contact me, they could do Skype, Google chat email me, call me, call my Skype number. I mean, all these different ways. And so, you know, I think about that too. You know, do you think that marketing has evolved or will evolve past repeated exposure? So for instance, you know, if a beauty brand wanted me to buy a product, they could target me on email, social media, remarketing, target me in the store, mail me coupons. I mean, do you think that eventually consumers are going to repel against that or has that happened already? I think we're in the early stages, and I think the reason we're in the early stages is because people are starting to get a little more critical of, hey, this company has data on me, and they're using oh, it in yeah. a way that is very uncomfortable. Um, I think a beauty brand, if they approached you and, and said, you know, we have an experience set up for you, a digital experience, in order to figure out 
what uh, what beauty products you would enjoy the most. That's radically different from, you know, sign up for a coupon or um, purchase this now or bring this to. We are not really in an experiential age. I think a lot of bloggers think we're in that in that age. I think we're far from it. But I think what is happening is people are demanding more of that. They want to be part of something. They want to feel part of something. They don't just want to be pushed uh, something. And this is going to be very difficult for a variety of those different silos that marketers live in, whether it's email marketing, social media marketing, search marketing. Um, you can't think like that anymore. You really have to think about, you know, well, hey, what is our What's what's our customer feel and think on a on a on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? What do they do in their life? How do we become a part of the, a small part of that uh, of their life rather than you know, hey, let's push another advertisement uh, to them? I think you know, advertising is becoming less effective because it is very one way centric again in a world which people feel they have much more power on. Uh, you know, in terms of how they're communicated to. Yes, I agree. I don't mind interacting with the brand a lot if I feel like what they're giving me is useful to my to my life. So for instance, Under Armour acquired one of the biggest fitness tracking apps, MyFitnessPal, I think a couple years ago. And so now you see Under Armour branding in MyFitnessPal, but I'm, I, I love MyFitnessPal. I've used it almost every day for two years. And now that subtle branding, they do contests where they give away gift cards if you meet challenges, maybe if you tracked, you know, eating of eating fruit every day for two weeks or whatever. I feel like that's a good example of you're still marketing your brand, but it's in a way that customers are getting something of value from me for or from them. You know, yep. Under Armour isn't sending me ads all over the internet. They're already integrating themselves in an app that I use every day. And it fits perfectly because mostly or most likely the people that are tracking their food and exercise are going to be more likely to want to buy a higher quality athletic product because having a healthy lifestyle is important to them. I mean, Kelsey, you brought up a great example. Under Armour doesn't need everyone to be their consumer. They yeah. need a specific segment or a specific person. I think marketers who still believe, you know, everyone needs to love us. <laughs> I mean, there's that there's, you know, maybe they have some psychological issues or something that they need <laughs> to go talk to their shrink about. Not everyone is going to love you. Not everyone is going to need you. Not everyone is going to have to to use your product, solution or service. It's when you find out who is really going to use your product when you can key in on them and really understand who they are and build something around that. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. I think that's what probably gets you excited about, you know, Under Armour because you're like, okay, this makes sense. This fits my lifestyle. I actually will go and purchase their, uh, their, you know, a product from them when it when it's time for me to get uh, running clothes or fitness clothes or or something of that nature. Brands can learn a lot from that. I mean, I think, you know, B2B, B2C, it doesn't matter what area you're in. You really have to figure out how you're going to fit into that, you know, that the, the, that person's, you know, day-to-day -day life. And uh, uh, that's not going to be everyone. And so I think if we can actually get back to, hey, who are our customers? You know, who are our 100 most important customers? I mean, I don't even see companies doing audits 
of you know who their top customers are. I still think they blanket the uh, landscape with you know ads and uh, uh, marketing opportunities, and uh, you know they really haven't gotten down to the science of who their customers are. And I think when they can they can do that, they're going to be much more powerful because they're going to be able to use those influential customers to to say you know hey what do you you know how do you use our product so that they can then you know shape experiences around reaching other customers who are really you know important to them yeah i agree and just because someone goes to your website once that doesn't mean that automatically they're your target customer or you know you should be marketing to them and so it is important to know the difference and know you know your personas and what customers are actually going to make purchases from you versus just they visited your website a few times. Yeah, because I mean, you visit sites probably daily that you have no purchase intent whatsoever, but you might be doing research or somebody sent you something or you did see a ad where you were like, okay, I'm curious about who this company is, but it's once and done. You go to the site and you're like, this isn't for me. And so you are, you know, you, you basically go on with, you know, living your life but they have sort of taken in that uh, information and they think, OK, this is the person, you know, we should you know, start to target uh, this person because they visited our site or they clicked on an ad or they liked something on, uh, you know, social media. I mean, uh, humans are curious and I think brands don't realize, you know, that as well, that uh, um, th- not there's not intent baked into every uh, action or behavior. Yeah, so how can you appeal to that curiosity without coming across as, you know, too pushy or too cheesy? Because, you know, I see some campaigns that I think are brilliant. Like, for instance, after I think the first presidential debate, Excedrin sponsored a hashtag on Twitter that was something like, if you have a migraine, um, you know, try Excedrin or whatever. And that was perfect because it played exactly to the sentiment of what people were saying and it wasn't pushy. But, you know, how do you how do you make that a win every time? I mean, appealing to people's curiosity and even their sense of humor or their emotional side um, is, do you think that brands reach a limit with that where maybe they do it too much? Like maybe Coke runs too many mushy commercials and it starts affecting <laughs> them negatively. Do you think that's possible? Um. You know, I think there's I think people like uh, emotional storytelling. So I don't I don't think there's uh, I don't think there's too much that could happen there. I mean, there's only so many times of the year you can really run uh, many of these uh, stories and, and, and they're effective. I haven't seen any blowback yet. I mean, some uh, companies probably will see a lot of this. I mean, you brought up two good points. Humor and uh, feeling empowered, obviously, are two areas. One area, though, and we see this in the psychology of sharing, that I think we're going to see more of, Kelsey, and this is unfortunate, is people share sentiment around anger. Hmm. And this is something that brands have not tapped into because they don't want to be seen as, hey, we're trying to uh, you know, get people to carry uh, you know, word along that uh, they should be angry about something. Uh, I do see a lot of nonprofits using this. I do see a lot of political groups using this. But this could actually bleed into an area where, you know, some brands maybe say, hey, we're going to do this as well. I mean, Ben and Jerry, okay, an ice cream brand, actually used a lot of this back in the 90s when they said, hey, we don't want GMOs in farming. We don't want all these additives in our food supply. 
we got to do something about this. They really used almost like an anger sentiment there, which is weird if you think about it for a brand like Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> yeah. But it but it works because people are like, I don't want that in my body. So I think with some brands, they may be able to use that sentiment. But I still think humor and uh, you know a, a feeling of belonging are are two sentiments that uh, we'll never get sick of because that's just part of our our sort of biological DNA. Yeah, I think especially the feeling of of belonging or feeling like you're part of something else or you could be sort of something bigger than yourself. Um, I do think that a lot of times that can be done well by brands, but I don't know. I think so when you were talking about, you know, the sentimental stories, there is one uh, commercial that popped in my head that at first I, it made me cry and I was emotionally connected to it and now I'm mad at it. And that's the, um, I think it's the ASPCA that plays like that oh, Sarah yes. McLaughlin commercial yes. and the dog's shaking. Yes. I mean, at first that worked, but now it just makes me mad because I don't want to see it anymore. Um, yes. And I know it's still a reality, but they could have changed their branding and then turned it into, you know, here's a dog that is healthy and was able to be adopted and shows the dog happy and with their new owners because they got to stay in the shelter longer. So, well, yeah. so yeah, I think uh, sometimes was, it can be played out. Yeah, no, Kelsey, you bring up a good point there, too, because you also so, show the evolution, like here's what your donation actually did do rather than sort of thinking in a uh in a uh static fashion which is you know hey the world is always terrible and will continue to be terrible (laughs) no matter what you do um yeah people want to see reactions to their actions that's another thing that i think brands miss out on from using certain forms of communication i mean it's probably costly to do another uh advertisement for the ASPCA, which, you know, disclaimer, I actually donate a lot of money to, uh, but it's, you know, they, they have to realize like, Hey, we need an evolution here. So I think companies need to realize that, uh, you know, they have to take that into consideration when they're, when they're thinking about, you know, what their communication strategy is. Yeah. I love the tie back to the evolution of marketing, which is, you know, what we're talking about. There was one other, topic that I wanted to ask you about for our podcast today and that was voice search. So um, Perna with Microsoft, she talks a lot about this at you know different marketing um, events across the world and so I wanted to ask you about it. So I think voice search is continuing to rise and be more common, um, especially now that uh, you know Google and Android and Cortana um, and Surrey all have their own, you know, voice activated assistance um how what are your thoughts on voice search and how do you think you know we can wrap this idea of better communication into you know the strategies and tactics for voice search well this is going to get interesting for a lot of marketers because it used to just be on what are people's interests and what are the terms that they would be looking for so keywords now we really have to dive deep into, you know, how do people talk? And people talk differently, Kelsey, around, you know, generational divides. Your grandparents talk different from maybe you and I. Uh, and younger people like my daughters definitely talk different from the way I do. So <laughs> yeah. you almost have to think about what is the slang that exists amongst many people. You have to also think in, in terms of uh, uh, different languages, 
you know, so voice search will will encompass not just English, but you know, Spanish, Portuguese, Chinese, you name it. Any language spoken will be involved in that. So it really is going to require uh, marketers to think more on a behavioral uh, point of view, which is, you know, to just use a simple example. In the past, you would just say pizza, uh, Lower East Side, Manhattan, and maybe find a search result. Now you have to think in latent terms. Where's the best pizza on the Lower East Side? in Manhattan, but that still sounds very robotic when mm-hmm. I say it. So you have to almost think about like, you know, how you would say it to your friends in an office. Hey, what's the best pizza place, you know, nearby. And that is really where we are headed in terms of, uh, of, of a lot of this marketing language. It's going to be very natural language oriented and that, uh, that can actually be exciting. Uh, I like to say that no more robots speak. Uh, so the, the more natural we can think, and the more like people we can think, the better our uh, our marketing will be. Yeah, one thing that helps me is reading the content out loud that I'm writing for you know websites or even just articles, because I find that I'll change it to be to sound a lot more natural if I read it out loud to myself. Yeah, I mean it's really important now to no longer just read things or or just see them when you're in you're, you're planning but actually you know as you noted just read aloud to see what it sounds like because ultimately that is going to be a, a more growing uh and influential area of of marketing i agree well to kind of wrap it up today are is there any advice you would give to marketers that want to you know increase their soft skills or their communication skills to kind of help that influence you know their own marketing experience and work with clients or their company yeah, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book is, you know, how do you it, how do you increase your emotional intelligence? How do you really understand people's frustrations? Because marketing again is understanding, you know, people's frustrations, your customers' frustrations, putting yourself in their uh, POV. So I I think one of the examples I used is, you know, travel as much as you can. And uh, this is important because if you can go to a foreign country where people speak different languages and have different customs, you are immersing yourself in that culture. And that is very much what is required, I think, to uh, to improve or enhance your skills in the 21st century as a marketer. How do you put yourself in a person's shoes, their point of view, their day to day to really you know, understand them better? I love that. I, I agree with the traveling thing. And even if you can't travel or you don't get to as much as you can, um, you know, m- have conversations with people, start a podcast, um, just ask if anybody wants to meet for, you know, a virtual coffee date for 15 minutes to, you know, meet new people. That could be a cool way to kind of get better experiences as well. Yeah. I mean, anything that just allows you to talk to people very different from who you are, I think is is a really good soft skill because the world isn't about groupthink anymore. It's not about putting the same people in the same room who think the same way. You're not going to solve the greatest problems in the world that way. Uh, you're going to solve those problems when you put a very inclusive group. They speak different languages. They look different from each other. They have different uh, uh, 
uh, melatonin in their skin. I mean, all these things are really important. They sound and look different from one another. You put all those people together, I mean, you really get a uh, sort of a, a beautiful uh, solution in terms of, uh, you know, the problems we, we face in marketing as well as the, you know, the world at large. Agreed. Well, uh, DJ Jeffy, thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> Thanks, Kelsey. And for everyone, this is Kelsey Jones and Jeffrey Cologne with Microsoft and Search Engine Journal. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.